You are listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. As we get into Acts 9, Acts 10, there are some significant shifts that are happening in the book. So what we're going to follow throughout uh, throughout the book, as we actually head in 13 and beyond, is uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. But what we saw last week in the Ethiopian eunuch, and even the ministry that was before that in Samaria, and now we have Saul's conversion in Acts chapter 9, is that there's this broadening of the understanding of the people Jesus died for. So we're going, okay, so, so Ethiopians can put their faith in Jesus too, and, and Samaritans can put their faith in Jesus too. And, and we'll see in November, Gentiles. Now Acts chapter 10, the Gentiles believe, and that's different than what we had expected. And so God in these chapters is broadening the understanding of the disciples going, okay, so we know like we're from the Jewish faith, and so we see... Jesus is our Messiah, but then he becomes everyone's Messiah as time goes on. They realize that God is breaking down barriers each time. One person that he uses to break down those barriers is uh, what many go uh, say Paul in this sermon will likely call him Saul because that's how he is referred to in Acts chapter 9. So Saul is a key character in bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. What's a Gentile? A non-Jew. Ethnically different, religiously different than the people who had generally thus far been receiving the gospel by grace through faith. And if you're unfamiliar with chapter nine, it's, it's a big, the bulk of it is his conversion story, Saul's conversion. Now, there are in our world some significant conversion stories. You might, you might even be the recipient of one, uh, but it's like, man, you know, all, I was just you know, I was a wreck, my life was a wreck and everything was crazy um, and all I did was live for myself and this and that and everything else that was going on and then God showed up and I've never been the same and we hear these conversion stories and some of us who had more of the like, well, I kind of came to faith like in like a three year span, I'm not really sure, maybe we grew up in the home and our parents taught us about Jesus, like we can't really pinpoint it like Saul can. And so some people have these huge, dramatic conversion stories and some people have what seem, seem like uh, uneventful conversion stories. Like, well, I kind of knew. And so we don't have this like, drastic dark to light moment. Even though we actually do have it, we don't feel like we have it because we feel like, man, there's some people that just have crazy conversions. And so uh, uh, I know of a guy who tells his conversion story. It's like, man, you know, I was, uh, and it, ha- it follows this like, uh, addiction and ministry and then repentance and change and like all of these things. And we see a similar thing in Saul. Like Saul was like, I was totally headed this way and I was really glad about it. And then Jesus showed up, now I'm headed this way. And for those of us, and I'm one of them, who doesn't have that story, it can feel a little, like am I like second class? Am I really saved? Like how come it didn't feel as dramatic? I want something dramatic like you know Jesus showed up and said, "Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me?" I want that same kind of like whoa, whoa, whoa moment. And we don't have it. We don't have the, have these things. Many of us don't. Some of us do. And so it does sometimes, not always, but it feels a little bit like a like a conversion competition. Oh, well you were bad like I was really bad. You thought you had it bad. Like, listen, wait till you hear this. And they're like, oh, well, I have nothing on that. 
as if our conversions are somehow to be compared. They're not. It's always an act of God on our behalf to bring us to saving faith. So as we look this morning at Saul's conversion in Acts chapter 9, what I want us to be able to do is see it for what it is, praise God that he brought Saul to faith, and then go look at his account and go, now what is the same for everybody? Every conversion, what is the same, that the steps that people go through, so to speak, or the things that happen in conversion? Because there, everybody who today, this morning, has put their faith in Jesus has made the same move that Saul has made. And it is just as miraculous as what happened to Saul. Because God bringing somebody from death to life, it, it, it's never second, right? It's never like, oh, well, this is a really good conversion, and mine's not quite as good. It's always an act of God on our behalf in a movement of his spirit at a place and a time that he decides for our good and his glory. So we'll see Saul, and then we'll go from Saul and go, okay, now what's going on that we can all kind of see? And as we start to pull on those Saul strings a little bit, we'll go, okay, like this is, yeah, I had that. It happened to me. That happened to me. It happened to me. But Acts 9, 1 through 31, we're going to just do it like this. We're going to look at Saul's conversion. Then we're going to go back and go, okay, now what is good for us all here? So we start with the salvation of Saul for the good of the Gentiles. Now, he has been persecuting churches in Jerusalem. That's where he's been. And he wants to now continue to persecute Christians beyond Jerusalem. That's where he's about to head. So he have in verse one, but Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest, asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, which is north of where they are, so that, they, so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, which was another word for uh, Christians, they didn't, have, they didn't have Christians yet, that shows up in Antioch, but the way, this different way of living, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand, brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. First nine verses. So what we see right here is Jesus' confrontation of Saul in the midst of his persecution. So Saul's just going through his day. He has a plan for that day, and then Jesus shows up in the middle and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Which is an interesting phrase because Jesus has ascended, hasn't he? We've already had the ascent, so now we see in this the strong link between God's people and God. That Saul persecuting the church, Jesus shows up in Saul's life and goes, why are you persecuting me? He doesn't go, why are you persecuting my people? Why are you persecuting my church? Why are you persecuting me? 
So if any of us think that there is something unspectacular even about this moment, may we change that understanding because all who have faith in Jesus and gather together and worship him and seek to know him and grow his his disciples are the representatives of Jesus on this earth and what happens to us happens to Jesus. And what we do, it is as if Jesus is doing them, which should change some of how we think about our days. Think about how we spend our time. So Jesus shows up and goes, why are you persecuting me? And Saul, of course, like, who are you? He said, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And he leaves him hanging a little bit, doesn't he? Just go into Damascus and you will be told, verse six, what you were to do. The men who were with him, they heard the voice, but they saw nothing. They have no idea what's going on. So the men who were with him are speechless, they're confused, Saul rose, opened his eyes, and now he's been blinded. And as he's been blinded, now the guys take him into Damascus, and he waits for three days. The confrontation of Jesus in the life of Saul. Now, I would not say at this point Saul is converted. Jesus goes, hey, this is gonna happen. Anybody have you know, a process conversion where something happens and it starts to get you thinking and then something happens a little later and you think a little more, right? So now he's been blinded, he has been confronted by Jesus and now he's blind for three days in Damascus, hanging out at somebody's house. And we move to the next scene, which is Ananias, not the Ananias who died, don't worry, a different Ananias who's in Damascus at that time and God's about to speak to him and what his role is. And what we'll see in the next nine verses is that God uses Ananias to deliver the gospel message to Saul. Verse 10, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, here I am. Pretty common Old Testament language there. It's like when the Lord says, hey, he goes, I'm here. Here I am. And the Lord said, rise and go, I love this specificity here, rise and go to the street called Straight, Straight Street. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. He has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints in Jerusalem, and how he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings to the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were, you, uh, he, I'm sorry, appeared to you by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. See that? And be filled with the Holy Spirit, which is the mark of conversion. Lord has sent me here that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell off his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. So three days not eating, Saul apparently has a vision that a guy named Ananias is gonna come talk to him and then we also see that Ananias has a vision that he has to go talk to Saul. 
So we have two things going on. We actually see the same kind of back and forth in Acts chapter 10 between Peter and Cornelius. Cornelius is having visions and Peter is having visions at the same time that are gonna bring them together. So that's what we have in chapter nine. So Saul knows something's coming. Ananias knows something's coming. But what happens? Ananias doesn't wanna have anything to do with it. He goes, no, 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 no. I've heard about this guy. I have heard about this guy and I do not want to talk to him. Because I know, we all know around here that he's gonna bind us and drag us back to Jerusalem and we don't wanna do it. And essentially God goes, I've taken care of that. I've already taken care of that. You just go to him. And I love the language of Ananias there. What does he say in verse 17? Brother Saul, the Lord and Ananias had to have a little bit of work done, right? Ananias kinda had to change his perspective. And he goes to Saul and goes, brother Saul, The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Scales fall off, he's baptized, he regains uh, regains sight, baptized, and then he he eats. Now, that is the conversion moment the interaction between Ananias and Saul. And I would love uh, all of us to be able to say, well, the Lord told me I had to take a right and then take a left and then go to this house and knock on the door and you were staying there. Like I, I, would, I would not say that many of us, I could be wrong, I would not say that many of us have had that type of experience, either as a Saul or as an Ananias. So even though every conversion story is God intervening on the half, one person coming to another and sharing the gospel, it may not have that type of vision and specificity. But what has God been doing as Acts is moving forward is he is being sure, ensuring that we as the readers know what's going on. So as this is going, okay, so God is moving now. He's moving from Jerusalem, Saul's to Damascus, and he's going to preach Uh, Saul is gonna be a preacher to both Jews and to Gentiles and he's gonna suffer. And then as we follow 13, 14, 15 on to the end and the book of Acts actually ends with Saul under house arrest, we see just how true that becomes. So God is superintending, he's moving in moments and preparing people to continue on his mission as the gospel goes out and the church is established. So now, and this happens sometimes, right? With the same intensity that somebody was doing one thing before their conversion, they do it with the same intensity after, but they just do it towards Jesus now. So instead of Saul persecuting Christians, now he is taking all of that zeal and all of that training and all of that energy and he's moving it towards defending Jesus. And we see those from time to time, don't we? Where people go, with the same energy I did this, now I'm gonna do that. And that's what he does. So the second half of 19, for some days he was with the disciples in Damascus. Verse 20, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. All who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem and those who called upon his name? And and has he not come here for the purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. 
They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night, let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket, which is not a glorious way to leave the city, lowering somebody down in a basket. It's a rather humiliating way to leave a city if you were to ask me, yeah, well, I can't go through the gate now because people want to kill me. So see what happened in a moment, right? Saul is there, and had he entered into, uh, into Damascus as Saul who wanted to persecute Christians, he would have been well-received by the Jews there, right? Now he has this moment, and he's now with the disciples there who are having a hard time believing that he actually has been converted, which kind of makes some sense. But he's continuing to preach and to teach that Jesus is the son of God. And so now the Jews there are annoyed. Of course, just like, just like they do with, at this moment with anybody who is promoting following Jesus, teaching and reasoning that Jesus is the Messiah, they want Saul dead. In fact, just think two chapters ago, Saul is approving of this happening to Stephen. He's already, he's for this. So in chapter seven, he's approving the martyrdom, right? Everyone is, and Saul is there overseeing essentially this execution. And now he is the one that is to be executed. So he leaves Damascus and he heads back to Jerusalem. Now it has been a while in this, in this uh, telling, it's not like the next day he's in Jerusalem, it has been a while since he's been into Jerusalem. So now he's headed to Jerusalem. And he comes to Jerusalem, verse 26, he attempted to join the disciples and they were, of course, all afraid for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas, now we gotta remember him from chapter four, he was the the son of encouragement. Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he, that would be Saul, had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went, Saul, in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. Okay, that's two times Saul's trying to get killed already. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea to the coast and they sent him off to Tarsus, which is where he's from. And so they're going down and they're gonna send him out. Verse 31, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. It's interesting that it happens after Saul leaves. That he was a testy figure before his conversion and he causes problems after his conversion too. The church is stressed with his presence. They're like, man, Saul is here and he's causing problems for all of us. So if we could just get him out, we good. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit it multiplied. Saul's conversion. In Acts 9, 1 through 31. Now, it is, of course, miraculous. And it is, of course, as we read this, powerful. And we do look at that, and I can think of my own conversion, and you can like to think of yours and go, mine didn't really happen that way. I wasn't blinded, no scales fell off, there wasn't a vision that somebody was gonna come talk to me, no one else had a vision that they were supposed to come talk to me. Uh, they didn't do that, and then I didn't immediately run into synagogues and start preaching, though that might, be, that might be some of you. Doubtful, though. So when we read this and we see that God is, is getting Saul prepared for the ministry that he continues in Acts chapter 13 and beyond, we see that. We also need to look at this and go, God, okay, now as, as this happens, how, how do we read this and go, 
what is there for us to understand other than gratitude for what you were doing in converting Saul and bringing the gospel to the Gentiles, which allows for it to come to us, which is absolutely true in this moment. So there are a few statements that I want to make for us as we think about conversion. The salvation of Saul was for the good of the Gentile. The salvation of sinners is always for the good of the gospel, regardless of who it is. So here's where we go. Every conversion, every single one, is an intrusion of Jesus into the life or lives of the one or ones being saved. It's always an intrusion. Like, you're never just like, oh, you know what, I'm just so happy today, I, just, I think I'm gonna be converted. Like, that's not how your day usually begins. It is an intrusion of what we are doing with what God has intended for us, every single time. And so it may not be Jesus showing up on the road and saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? But it might be you going, you know what, like mine, I think of mine going, I had zero, zero expectation that I was gonna put my faith in Jesus when I did, none. Like I, I didn't preempt it, I didn't know. I was living my life, as were likely you, when all of a sudden you hear the gospel and you go, oh, oh. Jesus confronts Saul. Jesus is always confronting us to bring us to faith. It is a confrontation. And it is always different than perhaps we would have expected. Now again, whether we come to faith young in age or we come to faith later in life, regardless of when it happens, we always have to put down what we were doing and follow after Jesus. Jesus says that. You can't put your hand at a plow and say, hey, just give me a second, Jesus, I'll be right there. Because Jesus goes, well, I'm not gonna be here when you get back. So it's always a confrontation, we see that. Now, it may be dramatic and it may be you know, common, but it's never common. So here's a dramatic conversion uh, that I had a friend telling me, and this happened uh, decades ago, okay? And it actually uses Acts chapter nine. It's interesting how God uses Acts chapter nine in the salvation of this brother, and I don't know his name. But this was uh, told, this actually, so first-hand account of the person who was the, essentially the Ananias in this situation. So he was there in a certain country overseas, and uh, he shares this with me. He goes, this man with dark skin and a big white eyes came up to me, and he said, now these two have never met, sir, can you please tell me who it was that said, and I'm making up this guy's name, but he put his name in this place. I'm gonna call him David. David, David, why are you persecuting me? So just, just put your name in Jesus' statement to Saul. Can you tell me who it is that said that? I said, well, what do you mean? This man said, well, I'm from Bangladesh. I'm the son of a very wealthy man and I've had, his, I've had this repeated dream where a man says to me, David, David, why are you persecuting me? And I traveled throughout Bangladesh asking people and no one knew. So I went to India and no one told me. And I went to Pakistan, and no one told me. I went to Iran, and no one told me, but someone said, go to Istanbul. So I went to Istanbul, and in Istanbul, a man said to me, if you go to Berlin, you will meet a man there who can tell you who it was who said that. And so I just arrived at the airport, I took a bus here, I saw you, I walked up, can you tell me who it was who said, David, David, why are you persecuting me? My friend says, and I, so I went to Acts 9 and he was beautifully saved. That isn't probably how your story happened. Had a vision, went to this country, no one told me, went to this country, no one told me, went to this country, no one told me, went to this country, no one told me. Then 
Someone said, well, if you go to this city, somebody there will tell you, and I just got here, will you please tell me? But that was like immediately after this guy got on the ground. And so certainly there are times when God is creating the intersection of points and you had zero idea that he was gonna do that and how much work had happened on the back end for him to bring somebody to that point. That clearly may happen. In fact, we've spoken already. God is always drawing people to himself, always. If we are aware, are we looking, are we watching, are we praying, are we expecting? And then we have common conversion. Common again in you know, air quotes. It's not common because it's God's activity. But what happens is it's always an intrusion of the gospel into the life of the one being saved. Always. It is always an intrusion, regardless of age, regardless of experience, regardless of training, regardless of where you've been or what you've done. Conversion is always a an intrusion. So how do we apply that? Well, that's why I'd say, know your story and tell it. Like, because sometimes as we talk about how we came to faith, maybe you're in your community group and you're talking about your testimonies. And you've probably, or maybe you've said something like this, yeah, well, mine's not really all that spectacular. It's just, a, no, don't say that. Don't even grant your flesh the grounds to say it's not spectacular because it always is. Tell the story of how God saved you, of how he has changed you. And it might be, man, for like seven years, I don't think I knew who Jesus was. That's what, tell the story. If it's a flash in the pan moment and you know, and there's this decisive thing, tell that story. If it took 15 years of being engaged in church life and then finally something clicked, tell that story. Because it's always a story of God entering into the life of somebody who did not know him and bringing them from death to life. And that is a story worth being told. Saul will do it time and time again later in the book of Acts where he just talks about how he came to faith. There is always power in talking to people about how Jesus saved us because he's always interrupting our lives. So we tell the story and do do we know the story? One of the best things that you can do is just write down your story in a way that you could talk to others about it because sometimes we don't do that and it might be you know, I, I can't remember a time when I didn't know Jesus. That doesn't mean there wasn't a time because there was. But they go, I just can't remember a time that I didn't know Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. You know, I hear some people go, I really wish I had that. I grew up in a Christian home and never really had crazy problems story. Like, I want that one because I have all this baggage over here that's making me a mess, right? Like, we just take what God has given you and be grateful for it and talk about it. Speak it. Why? Because it's the story of God saving people. Second thing that we can look at, every story matters, we need to tell it. It's always an intrusion. The second idea is this, every conversion is aided by the work of others. Notice that, and this is important for our understanding of the gospel, it is not, Saul didn't save himself. And in fact, Jesus didn't in that moment go, here's the gospel message. He goes, go over here and wait. And then who shows up? Ananias. So Jesus didn't come out and like take his little pen and go, okay, now here's, uh, here are, here's you and here's God and, this is, and you need to get over here and I died for you and so you need to put your faith in me. He didn't do that. He said, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. Go to, Ma- go to Damascus and wait. And who shows up but Ananias. 
And then after his conversion, who shows up but Barnabas? Ananias shares the gospel with him. I've come here that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he was baptized. That took a brother talking to a brother in that moment. It might be a sister talking to a brother or a sister talking to a sister. However it might be, the gospel comes to us through the hands and feet and words of others. Always. You can find time and time again. And even as I at times have looked at the way that God saves, like um, like this incredibly dramatic story where somebody's quoting Acts chapter nine and has this vision and travels all around looking for it, it wasn't the vision that saved. It was the conversation with the missionary that goes, can you tell me what this means? That's what it takes. Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch just the week prior that we looked at, can you tell me what this means? Every conversion has somebody else in it. And this might be somebody that you never see again, right? You might be at some event, a youth event, a a family event, a conference, and somebody says something, and you go, huh, wow, I have, I mean, I've heard, I've heard the gospel before, but I've never heard it like capital H, like it's actually here and makes sense now. But I could have told you Jesus died for my sins a million times, but I have actually never believed it. So wherever the context is, it might be your parents, it might be a friend, it might be a cousin, family member, somebody like that. It might be somebody who swoops into your life, shares it once, and then you do not see them again. But every conversion is aided by the work of others. So as we think about that first, be glad for the role God might have you bring, play in bringing people to faith. I hear an illustration like this a lot, and it makes, it makes sense to me. It's links on a chain leading us to conversion, or if you imagine a spectrum, it's like negative three, negative two, negative one, conversion, one, two, three, and then there's our sanctification. Your role might be to bring somebody from negative two to negative one. You don't know that. You don't know where God has them and what God's doing. You have zero idea. But you have a conversation with somebody, and all, all that God uses in that moment is just the tenderizing of their heart. And then later, somebody comes across, like along and they share the gospel and they put their faith in Jesus. Well, I would go because God is sovereign and he's good that your conversation with them was just as important as the second conversation with them, right? Because now they're thinking and God is moving them and directing them toward himself. And so be grateful for whatever role that you play. And you might be, right? You might be pleading with somebody, a friend, a family member, a neighbor to put their faith in Jesus and then they don't. And then what happens? They go to somebody else and they do it there and you're like, oh, come on. We had this conversation 50 times and you did not believe when I was in your presence but then so-and-so came. Like, all right, wrong understanding of conversion if we do it like that, right? God's not like, check, you good, you good right? That's gonna move you up one seat in heaven. He's not doing that. So be glad for the role that you play. But then secondly, be in prayer for people coming to faith that we would be sensitive enough to the Spirit when the Spirit says, go and share, we go and share. Go and declare, we go and declare. <laughs> I remember at one time, uh, this is, I, I hope this applies. Um, I was, I led a part of a leadership team for like summer missions, and I was in Tyler. It wasn't Pine Cove, but it was something else near Pine Cove. And we would take students out, and I was on staff, and my brother, at one point in time, was a student. And another staff member came to me and goes, man, I really felt like God was telling me to say something to your brother, and I said it. And then your brother looked at me and was like, mm Like, nope, that's not true. And it wasn't like my brother was like, stiff arm, get out of here. But he's like, I was really convinced that that was a thing that I was supposed to share, and I shared it. And your brother really just kind of looked at me dumbfounded and 
didn't know anything that I was saying or doing. And I chuckle because I know my brother and I, I could totally see him doing that. But secondly, you don't know what your obedience will do to someone else, but that's not the goal. Your obedience is the goal. You cannot demand or extract someone else's obedience because that's not obedience, is it? So you be faithful to the things God is asking of you in the places God has put you. And it might be very clear that you have an Ananias moment and God goes, go over to this person and say this, and you do. That is not beyond the scope of how he moves. But it might also be that you're just thinking about the people in your life who don't know the Lord, and you go, you know what, I have not had a conversation with this person in six months. I should probably give them a call. I just need to see how they are. I've neglected that. Because we know, right, our lives get busy and a well-intended idea becomes just kind of buried under life. And then six, nine, 12, 18 months later, we go, man, I have not seen that person and I don't know how long. And that, I would say, right, if it moves you towards somebody by the Spirit for Jesus, then you step out in faith and you make the call or you have the conversation. You don't know where it's gonna go, but just step out. Third idea that we see in this passage, and we see it in Damascus and we see it in Jerusalem, every conversion shocks someone, right? Like, the disciples in Damascus, first Ananias, and then the disciples in Damascus, and then the disciples in Jerusalem are like, "Uh uh-uh, I don't want anything to do with this guy. Because they had seen him overseeing and being okay with the death of Christians. And now he shows up and he's like, hey guys, I'm saved. You know what I would think? Sleeper cell, that's what you're gonna be. You're gonna come in here and learn more about us and then you're gonna go ahead and like give insider information. You are being a double agent. And so of course there is doubt that his conversion is real. That's why Barnabas shows up and goes, no, 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 guys, listen. Let me tell you what he's done and let me tell you what has happened. But have you, ever, have you ever, maybe, you know, Thanksgiving's coming and maybe you're gonna get back together with your family. And the moment after you put your faith in Jesus and you enter back into a situation with family, you realize how weird your family actually is. I mean, your, your spouse and your friends have been trying to tell you that forever, but now you know. And they just can't believe that you're different. In fact, and this is usually the case with family, family's often the last group of people to believe that you're different. Because they know the worst of you, right? They know the worst of you, and so if you come and go, no, really, I, I'm different, I'm saved, I'm, like, like Jesus has changed me, like, right, right, yeah, I know. I mean, I was the one that was cleaning up after you when you had those crazy nights, so no, I, I don't think that that is actually the case. I hope it is, but I'm not sure. So conversions shock people. To be changed by grace through faith is a drastic difference in who you are from moment A to moment B. And so it might be drastic like Saul where they're going, whoa, 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 no way, no how are we gonna let this guy show up into our lives now because we know what he was doing. But have you ever, have you ever actually received flack from family or friends after you put your faith in Jesus? And they're just kinda like, hmm. Sometimes, uh, especially if you're like youth age, and you're different, you become the butt of jokes. People start to make fun of you because they go, yeah, right, you know, now you're a holy roller and you just, you know, you now know everything about Jesus and you're so much better than us and that's not what you're trying to communicate, is it? But they take what God has done in you and they don't believe it. I think in that moment, the best thing that you can do 
first is not to hide your new identity from somebody, but also you don't have to try and argue it into existence, but allow it to demonstrate itself. Just allow the difference that Jesus has put in you and the fruit of the spirit that is starting to be born through your walking with him in obedience, allow that to be the testimony of your transformation. You don't have to try and convince someone that no, 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 really, look, 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 I promise. Allow your changed life to be just that. And in fact, in fact, that is what helps the disciples in Jerusalem with Saul's conversion. Verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke with him and how at Damascus he preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So Barnabas takes the disciples in Jerusalem aside and goes, no, look at how he has been living now. Saul didn't have to convince them. Barnabas came and goes, no, I've seen him transformed. I've seen him be different So Barnabas comes along. Man, I think everyone in this room needs somebody like Barnabas. They both need to be that for somebody and also have that for them. You know, somebody who just believed in you from the beginning. Like Saul comes to faith and Ananias is like, I'm not really sure. And Barnabas is like, this is awesome. I am so glad. Like, come on, listen, look look at how God has changed Saul. I mean, we need that for everybody. That's why his name, son of encouragement. That's why he's here because like, you need that wind in your sails and everyone else is like, I don't know, womp womp, I don't think you're saved. And Barnabas is like, no, listen guys. And he's kind of the peacemaker in that moment between the disciples in Jerusalem and between Saul. So allow for your identity in Jesus to be the defense for your conversion. You don't have to try and argue with your family or argue with your friends that you're really different, but just be different. And I didn't even know this. One time, uh, you guys remember Astroworld? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's been gone a while. You kids, you're missing out, okay? You don't know what Astroworld is. So I went with family and friends one time, and this was in high school. And uh, like any good high schooler, you lose the car key. And I didn't, I, I mean, you know, that, that was back, and they still are, I think, because I'm a dad, but that's from back when cargo shorts were a thing. Um, and so I just kept the one minivan key just kind of right here, but we lost it. And I'm going through the whole, like, where is it? Go everywhere, every ride you've ever been on, can we find the thing? And we couldn't find it. So what do you have to do? Dad, can you drive... <laughs> from Tomball to Astroworld and bring us a key. And I remember talking to my sister and I was like, let me ride home with dad. You, everybody else ride home and have a good time. I'll take the heat and I'll ride home with dad because this is not gonna be fun. And they do the parent thing at that time and I wasn't a parent at that time. They go, no, 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 I'm not mad, I'm disappointed. Right, 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 yeah. There's no difference in that. There's none. Just a different word. You're annoyed. You know you are. Yeah. Not mad. I'm disappointed. Great. I don't know which one's worse. Because uh, disappointment is just kind of passive aggressive anger. Um, so I'm, I'm driving with my dad and we're talking about, I don't know what we're talking about, but this was an interesting thing that he said. And this was after uh, my conversion story is kind of a. Uh, it's like a seven-year or six-year kind of story. Um, and then it kind of came a decisive moment where assurance was there and I no longer worried if I knew the Lord or not. 
and that was in high school. And I didn't know this was the case, but my dad said to me something that I've held and really treasured in my heart, though he doesn't know this. So dad, what? hey, I love you, um, in the sermon, in the video. But he said, your mom and I can almost pinpoint the day that you changed. I had no idea. Because if, if, if I'm telling my testimony, I was kind of like, I was kind of a good kid, but a brat over here. And then I was still a brat over here after Jesus. But there was something that my parents saw that was like, we can almost note when you were different. I never defended it. I never tried to explain it. And in fact, then you become like camp high, holy roller, and you tell your parents how little they know about Jesus. Like that's the next role you take if you come to faith in the home, um, is you become the, the, the super Christian and they become terrible. So that's kind of was phase two of my conversion anyways, was me telling them what's up. <laughs> but, but what does my dad say? We can, we can almost pinpoint, I had no idea. We can almost pinpoint when you we're different. And that's where I say, allow your conduct to be in those moments the testimony of the, being changed by grace through faith. Paul was preaching, he was sharing, but he wasn't trying to convince the believers that he was a believer. He continued to live it out. And then finally, finally uh, in this, and this is key for us, every conversion it was the case for Saul, it is the case for us. Every conversion is a part of God's greater mission of saving sinners. So I have friends who say it this way, right? The gospel came to you because it was headed to someone else. Or you're a, you're a conduit of God's grace, you're not a cul-de-sac. It's not like, man, I am so glad I'm saved, game over. Now I'm just gonna kind of enjoy being saved forever. What does God say to Saul? He goes, no, 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 I saved you and you're gonna go to the Gentiles and you're gonna suffer greatly for my name. Great, thanks so much, really appreciate that one, Jesus. And though you and I may not have this specific Gentile call on our lives and our hearts, God uses every conversion to save others. Every story, every person, because now through yours, you are able to go and declare, be a part of the salvation of others, speak of the goodness of God. You may go, well, man, I don't know if I've ever you know, seen anyone come to faith, but you continue to talk about what God has done in you and what God has done through you, because now what does he have on this world but another ambassador of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the people living out by grace through faith in obedience to Jesus, they are able now to live for him, to speak of him, to glorify him to live out of the image of God as he desired to await his return. And so you, brothers and sisters, you are not just this kind of recipient of God's grace, but a giver of God's grace as well. We see the same thing with Saul. For he will go, he will preach, he will tell, he will proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. And so we get to receive that. Yes, I would say that Saul's conversion is dramatic but it is no less ordained than yours. And it is no less true and spirit-filled than yours. And if you're here today and you have not put your faith in Jesus, I promise God's desire is for all men and women and children to know him. He wants you to follow him. He wants you to trust him. He longs for that Jesus died so that you might have life. And it may not be this big moment where someone's like, why are you persecuting me? 
but just a nudge that goes, will you trust what I've done for you and stop living for yourself? Because every story, every conversion matters. There isn't class A, class B, class C. There's what God did on our behalf to save us so that others might know him. That's what he's called us into. Will you pray with me? Our gracious, loving, and good God, we thank you for what we read in the book of Acts, and we thank you for what you have given to us in your son. And we thank you for the conversion stories that exist even in this room. Salvation by grace through faith, that life has been given. Father, we pray for those in this room. We pray for the kids just down the hall who uh, may not know you at this point. We ask for your salvation to be known in every heart of every person in this place. That Jesus would intrude into our lives and bring us to a point of repentance. That we could be for somebody in Ananias, that we could be for somebody a Barnabas, that you could use us in power to see people place their faith in Jesus and be transformed. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the gospel. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.